Hi, this is Vivica. Thanks so much for listening to the Quilting Arts Podcast in 2020. Susan and I are looking forward to being back with you next year. In the meantime, I wanted to encourage you to listen to one of our sister podcasts called Artbound. I just listened to the episode that focused on the value of an art education. That's episode number four. I particularly appreciated their discussion because many art quilters also develop classes and teach their techniques. Art is art, no matter the medium, and we all have so much to learn from each other. After you listen to this conversation, you can find other episodes of the Artbound podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Once you do, please subscribe. For now, enjoy this one, and we'll talk again in 2021. And I have had a lot of people, and I'm always so horrified by this, tell me that they were told in all sincerity by their high school art teacher that they have no talent and then they just like never painted again. And I think as students, you have to be kind of aware of of what you're hearing. And if someone's telling you that you just have no talent, then that's not a good teacher to be listening to. Welcome. I'm Doug Casina. I'm an artist, a gallerist, a curator, and a collector. And this is Artbound, where we deconstruct the myths and misconceptions of the art world. We have the conversations here with artists that aren't going to be found anywhere else. So in our last podcast... We ended with our guests giving us the sage advice to drop out of art school. (laughs) (laughs) And so in this podcast, I figured maybe we should go a little bit of a different direction and talk with a couple of artists who are also uh, practicing teachers. So uh, in this episode, we're going to be talking about sharing the joy of art as teachers. And I have two really amazing guests who are joining me today to kind of dive into this topic. First, I have Trey Egan, who is joining us from his studio in Dallas, Texas. Hi, Trey. Thank you for being here today. Well, thank you so much. I'm happy to be here, Doug. Well, wonderful. And I have Christy Gordon, who is joining us from her studio in British Columbia. So, uh, hi, Christy. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Doug. It's really good to be here. And so before we we jump in, I just want to introduce our guest, Trey Egan, is an abstract oil painter who has his MFA from the University of North Texas College of Visual Arts. And he is also a professor of painting and drawing at the University of Texas, Dallas. He's exhibited his uh, artwork across the country and is in some really prominent collections and uh, has also uh, shown on the International Art Fair circuit as well. Christy is I would say almost like an allegorical realism painter. I was trying to, you know, a, a kind of figurative based. She received her MFA from the New York Academy of Art and uh, teaches also at the New York Academy of Art as well as online with Artist Network. She also teaches in-studio workshops. So kind of the whole gamut of teaching practices. So in our last podcast, uh, our guests were telling us to drop out of art school, which is an assessment that I understand, but I don't necessarily agree with. Um, So today we have two incredibly qualified guests who are going to help us kind of navigate this idea of artist as teacher. 
Christy, do you feel like art is something that can even be taught? Ooh, I, I know that's do. a big one to start off. <laughs> that is a big one because I think. No, I do think so, though. I think that there's some things that we can't like learn on our own. Like I started out as a self-taught artist. And then when I finally started getting some, not finally, but in my process, when it turned out that I started getting art education, I discovered that there was things that I'd never, I never would have learned them on my own. And, and that's like technical as well as the conceptual. And for me, like the end of my artistic training, it really culminated in kind of fine tuning the conceptual side. Although it really just planted the seeds because then I had to spend like three or four years in my own studio figuring it all out alone, like, and I continued to do so. So that part wasn't totally taught, but the seeds were planted in school and I don't think they could have happened otherwise, grown otherwise. But do you, did you have a natural proclivity towards being an artist? I guess that's where I'm going for is like, can you teach somebody to think like an artist? Can you teach them that, you know, kind of creative approach to the world? Is art, uh, you know, that idea of being an artist, is that something that's a taught thing or is it something that's inherent to the individual? Trey, I know you probably have some thoughts on this. I, I do. And I think Christy had a really good intro to probably similar things that I would have said. But I, I think you can teach someone to make art, especially in like the foundation sense and foundation classes and so forth. But you ask a good question, Doug, like, can you actually teach someone to become an artist? And I think that's a totally different question. And I, I don't believe that you can. I think that it is something that is inherent talent. And really, you you either have it or you don't. Now, you can always hone it, of course. And, you know, I think that just like you were saying, Doug, earlier, that for me, you know, going to school was incredibly important. I don't think I would have been, you wouldn't, I wouldn't be on this podcast right now. I wouldn't have any, any success at all, probably, without going to school, quite honestly. What do you think, Christy? Yeah, it is such an interesting question if you can become an artist and or like if you have to kind of have that natural proclivity. And I know I did, you know, I definitely always, always wanted to be an artist as a kid, et cetera, like so many artists that I know. But I feel like in my heart, I'm like pretty generous with the idea of being an artist and uh-huh. what people can become. Like, I feel like anyone I actually almost feel like anyone has like a creative side to them and could nurture that could let it come out I don't know I don't know for sure but I just almost I almost feel like that yeah Uh, you know I agree with that I feel like everybody has the ability to be creative in their practice whether or not they can do that as like a career or as like a full-time pursuit I think it is very much, you know, uh, a state of being. Like for me, when I look at my own personal art practice or my curatorial practice or with a gallery, it's like really, it's it's like a lifestyle choice. It's not a career. It's not a job. It's something that is just kind of a state of being for me now. Um, I remember studying in a performance art class, this pair of artists, uh, Gilbert and George, and they embrace this idea of 
artist as self. So they like, as soon as they left the house, whenever they left their private sanctuary of being, they dressed as this role of the artist. You know, they knew that like, this was something that they were like living into all the time. And for me, there was something about that that resonated. It was something, it was this idea of leaning into this idea that you're an artist and that's just kind of in every fiber of your being. You know, and one thing that I'm really interested in talking with you guys about too is you guys are coming from, I think, two a little bit different trainings as far as artists goes. You know, there's this kind of conversation around the MFA kind of university and college type of um, side of the art training and more the atelier or the art students league. And that's what I'm really fascinated about having you guys as guests is that I think you guys might have different approaches with that. And there's different ideas of what you learn in art school. So what is it that we should be learning at art school to begin with? Is it about concept and about theory? Are we supposed, you know, is it about technique? And I feel like on each side of those different schools of teaching, you get one more than the other. Would you agree with that, Christy? I would totally agree. And I think that part of being an artist is like gradually learning how to like plug into what you're actually interested in. And that takes a lot of time. And it ties in with the idea of artist as lifestyle and coming to trust like ourself and our own intuition about what we prefer. And I think that um, our academies and ATAs versus like the accredited colleges have different things to offer. And so it kind of depends on what you want. If you want to be like a realist, representational, figurative painter, you're probably going to need to go to the academies and ATAs at some point in your training to get what you're looking for. And like they do a lot. They do everything that they need to as far as like representation goes. But I think it's valuable to get the art history and just like the broader context of art and building, you know, concept into your work. And so for that, I would go to the the universities or accredited, you know, accredited schooling. Um but I am so curious, Trey, to hear more about what the differences like are between our education and what you feel like you got out of out of your training. Yeah, well, I, I don't have any experience with uh, atelier schools or, or anything like that. I've never been to one. I've had some students who have had incredible success going to them. One in particular that I can think of was... Uh, a young student that I had a couple of years ago, and she was clearly just better than everyone in the class. I mean, incredibly mature, one of a kind, just one of those students you get, you know, every 10 years that just has incredible abilities. And she had a lot of success. She started in the university system, and then she ended up taking a lot of classes outside of the university, and she really took off from there. Her technique exploded and I think she found that she was able to get a lot of really in-depth demos that you're probably not going to find in the university system. Yeah, you're going to get demos and you're and we're going to do those kinds of things, but as far as like the incredibly in-depth several hour long demos and so forth, that generally doesn't happen a lot in the university system and I think there's several reasons for that. One of them I suppose would be time constraints. I was thinking a lot about this the other night actually. One of them might be time constraints, but I don't think that's the main reason. I think the main reason, um, and this is just my personal opinion, but I find that when I do in-depth demos for students, that it has negative and positive effects. The positive effects are kind of obvious that they get to see how to do certain things and they get to see a hands-on experience with the art and with the media. But 
on the downside, on the negative side, it's that I think students tend to only do what they see in the demo after they see a demo. And they have trouble expanding beyond what they see in the demo. They kind of feel like it must be shown to them or taught to them before they can experiment outside of that. At least that's, that's, that's my feeling probably on that. That's really interesting. And that kind of leads us back to that idea of what you're, you know, can you teach somebody to think like an artist? Mm-hmm. You know, you might be able to give them a certain skill set or a certain toolbox, but then are you, you know, showing, like, how do you um, really help them to engage and think like an artist. I think that's a whole different thing. So Dre, this is the thing that I always hear about universities, Uh right? And this is from my own experience doing a BFA program is you don't learn a lot of like how to paint, which, you know, when you look at the Atelier side or the ATA, it's really about how to render. It's about using medium. It's about using materials. It's about, you know, the more traditional side of art making. So what is it that you learn at a university? What is it that you're teaching? people? That's a really good question. I think I need to go back to my beginning painting experience. When I when I was a student in beginning painting, there was a, it's kind of a, a famous thing in, in at North Texas is uh, that my, one of my painting instructors on his door of his, uh, of his office, he would have a list of things not to paint. <laughs> So, so he would have green. A, and it don't w- make a green painting. <laughs> yeah. What was on that list? <laughs> it was, it was, it was a very long list actually, and it, and it continued wow. to grow throughout the years. Certain things that were on the list was like, don't paint guns, don't paint dragons, what? don't paint, <laughs> don't paint your pets. You know, uh. <laughs> and and I thought a lot about that. And I here's here's what I think about that. I think that a, a major job, and we don't say this often, but a major job of a beginning painting instructor or a foundation studio art instructor is to break bad habits, I think. Mm-hmm. The students may not be aware that they have like bad habits, of course, because they're they're so new to it. But breaking bad habits, and a lot of times those habits come down to concept, not technique. Hmm. So in other words, you know, I like to think of the words familiar versus unfamiliar. And this is something that I teach in all of my classes, that if you're showing us something familiar, something we've seen before, human curiosity is not going to be near as high as it is if you, if, if you go for something unfamiliar. So I ask my students, you know, when they show me, uh, concept thumbnail sketches for their paintings, I will say, you know, is this familiar or is this unfamiliar? And oftentimes just by that, asking them that simple question, they kind of get what I'm going at. And they say, oh, you know, I get it. This is, this is sort of generic or this is, in other words, like something that needs to be passed over or edited. So I'm a big believer in to get a good idea, you have to come up with lots of ideas right? Just kind of the the simple technique of brainstorming. So one thing that I do for my students is to have them make multiple thumbnail sketches, and then they pitch those sketches to me. And not only the concept, but also the composition. And and we work through those. And a lot of times I tell them like, hey, you're going you're gonna to have several attempts that are not successful before we get to the successful attempt. But what do you think about that, Christy? I don't, I'm curious to how you go about that. 
I'm, I'm okay with people going through those stages, but kind of like doing the familiar stuff, we don't realize that it's actually not groundbreaking. And it is helpful to have a teacher um, point out to you that that's something that's been done a lot before. And I had my thesis advisor at the New York Academy of Art do that with one of my ideas. And I'm so glad that he saved me from doing a whole body of work on something that was like really familiar and really done. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's the whole part of being an artist too, is there's a, a certain point in all of our practices where we're looking at work that's been done so that we create this vernacular of what art is. You know, I think we, every artist has copied somebody else's painting at some point or another in their career as, you know, just a way of like learning how to compose something or like, oh my gosh, I love the way that this was painted. Can I do something like that? And so what I'm really kind of curious about is, you know, how does teaching play a role in your own personal artwork? You know, when I'm thinking about a a concept, it might be something that's incredibly concrete in my mind. It might be something that I'm so sure of and I understand why I do something in my own personal art practice. But then when I'm trying to explain it to somebody else, it almost (laughs) redefines that for me. It almost, I'm like, oh, that's what I was really thinking because I'm having to verbalize that. I'm actually having to put it out there and like explain a, uh, a technique or a concept to somebody else. So Christy, what kind of role has teaching kind of informed in your artwork? I've totally found exactly the same. I had like a breakthrough with color that's related to my teaching because all of my students were asking me, how do you mix the shadow color over and over and over? And I had to come up with something to tell them, something that was like concrete. So it was because of my students that I have a new mixture on my palette, which I call the base shadow color mixture, which is just a mixture of ultramarine blue and cadmium orange. The idea of mixing two complementary colors together and it creates this like greenish brown, which is really beautiful. And so then I had a theory and something I could tell them and it worked. And actually it really worked for my paintings and it looks great. And I use it all the time. And, (laughs) and then, and so that's like with color. And then, and then I had students always asking me like, how do you use color to express mood? And I had to kind of like do some research and clarify my thoughts. And then that influences my paintings. It, you know, takes them yet to the next level. And then, yeah, just like whenever I want to, whenever I discover some place in my practice that's the part that needs work, like a few years ago, I realized I hadn't learned that much about composition. In all of the years that I'd gone to school, I hadn't learned that much about composition. It's such a complex concept. And I, I just read all these books, I did all this research on it, and I put together some classes that really clarified all of the ideas. And then I really started to focus on that in my work. And now like, I truly feel like very, well, I think we're always as artists getting better at composition. I think it's the ultimate, the penultimate thing in in art, but I feel so much more confident with composition. And so it's kind of like a way to keep learning actually. Well, and I love that answer that your natural curiosity for something that you felt was lacking in your work, you know, kind of drove you towards, you know, expanding, how do I talk about this? How do I teach this to somebody else? Because this is something that I'm wanting to learn more about. I, I think that's a really fabulous place to, to start. And art is a series of problem solving. And I think, uh, and I think uh, again, when it comes to teaching, it's this idea of how do you either give tools to solve those problems or teach people to look at the bigger thing, uh, the bigger problem and ask them those questions of how do they go about solving this. Trey, how does, how has teaching informed your personal art practice? 
Well, it has informed it in a lot of technical ways, kind of like Christy was saying. But for me, it's it's informed it in in more of a human health way, <laughs> in the sense <laughs> in the sense that you know artists, especially professional artists, can we can spend a lot of time in our studios, especially if you have an upcoming show or something that's you know really pressing deadlines. Absolutely, <laughs> deadlines. We all we all know about those. But I, I wonder this, if I wasn't teaching, I wonder how much I would actually get out of my studio and talk to real people in, in, in real life. <laughs> and, and, and I don't yep. think I would, I don't think I would do that very much. So just getting, getting out and going to school and, and helping students at their easel, you know, one after another and, you know, having dozens of students every single week that you're talking to over and over. And that is really the most, the most social that I, that I get in my life, it seems. (laughs) So that I, that is one of the, probably the most healthiest things for me is, is to get out there and actually just talk to students and get out of my studio. And, and also when I return to my studio, it helps me see things in a different perspective, but also it just helps me feel kind of mentally refreshed as well. Yeah, I find that too. So that that's an interesting point. Do you, you know, not only is it this idea of isolation, but uh, you know, as artists, we're not necessarily working in a vacuum. Yeah. You know, there's all of these things that are, you know, circulating, be it social commentary or if it's socio-political artwork or if it's just different techniques and different points of view on the world. So that leads me to the question of like what have you guys learned from your students? The thing that I remember most is being really kind of in awe of a lot of actually like pretty beginner artists and they wouldn't know it, but the things that they were doing, I felt were so bold. How could you just put paint on that thick? Like that's just so bold. And I know it was because they hadn't figured out to mix a medium in or something like that, but I really like had some breakthroughs just like seeing what I perceived as of like the boldness of um, someone that's maybe at a beginning stage in their artistic career that doesn't have all, it's not, they're not bogged down with the training that I want and I believe in, but it gives them like a lot of freedom that they don't know that they have <laughs> to make like really bold decisions. Do we teach some of that boldness out of students? Maybe, but I am still glad that I got the education. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I tell this to my students. The first painting in my painting class is a non-objective painting. The professors, we talked a lot about this and we continue to talk about this, like which painting should we teach first and why? And the reason that we teach non-objective painting first is because it doesn't have any content as far as representational imagery. So that allows them to think about paint specifically and allows them to think about the media specifically and you know color specifically texture viscosity all of these formal elements about paint that i don't think they would think of maybe as in a, in a focused way as if they had content to think about and so you know i just think that that's part of it in other words like learning about the paint first before we delve into content and i found that that has been a pretty successful route I'm so interested, actually, like in your process. So when you're teaching that or when you were learning that, did they give you theories like paint the darker notes thinner and more transparent, paint the lighter notes thicker and more impasto? Or was it more like, what do you like? What stands out as you're doing it? That's a really good question. So I try to 
I try to lay down what I think are some of the foundations that should be brought into other forms of painting as well, not just non-objective. You know, for instance, this is a big one, like trying to get beginning painting students to start their painting without heavy saturation. Mm -hmm. So a, lo a lot of students, when they start mixing color and so forth, they, they want to go right to what I call are the, the Skittles colors, the, the colors of that you might find in Star <laughs> Starburst or Skittles, um, the so-called pretty colors. And I try to explain to them that, you know, to, to make those really so-called pretty colors sing that they need to have, you know, desaturation and they need to have complexity and, and depth within their palette. And so getting them to learn that lesson, um, sometimes they have to go through the, the growing pains of seeing how it, how it doesn't work by not listening to me first. <laughs> but, um, but one thing I was going to say is just piggybacking on, on what you were saying earlier is that one thing that's great about beginning painting students is they don't know what they don't know, right? Yes. Yeah, they don't know what they can't do, in other words. And I, and I tell them that this is a huge advantage for them. In other words, like to, to experiment is, especially when you're just starting out painting, I think is, is the most important thing to do, to take risks and to experiment. And the more you learn and the more you are uh, trained, as you said, Christy, then, you know, you kind of rely on your training, right? And, and experimentation sometimes becomes less and less. So I try to remember that. And I think that's something that uh, I take into my studio is, is to continually remember to experiment and to take risks, um, which is something I do have to remind myself. Yeah, totally. And I remember like when I was in um, my undergrad, the teachers there, I had already had like a lot of real like training at the academies and stuff as a representational figurative painter. And I remember the professors there kept telling me to experiment. And I was like, oh, I would love to, but I like pretty much don't know how. And I just didn't. I didn't really know how. It was like so hard. And it took me until after my all of my training to be back in my studio. Like I only feel like in the last few years or maybe the last six years in the time that I feel like my work has grown the most, did I actually start to truly, truly experiment? And then it goes back to what you were saying, Doug, the problem solving. Cause for me at my point, like at this point in my career, it's all about experimenting, just listening to whatever impulse I'm getting to, for what the next thing to do is to a painting, wherever that idea comes from, I just try it out. And then from there, it's all about problem solving. Like every move I make on a painting will create a problem. <laughs> Not always, but pretty much, you know, if there's a compositional problem all of a sudden or or some color problem, like you were saying, Trey, and, and then it's like figuring out how to resolve, resolve that. I think it's interesting that you're saying that it, it was almost a correlation with when you the time that you were teaching that allowed you to have that same time when you were kind of experimenting. Do you think that a being a teacher allowed you that expansion and growth to experiment in your work? And does that mean that like teaching becomes some kind of a safety net for your own artistic artist practice? I think also, though, what also happened was I had to protect my practice at a certain point because I was teaching at a time when I, my work became really experimental and I didn't want to like necessarily let that let on <laughs> with my students that I was actually at a point in my process where I had not, no idea what I was doing. So, so maybe it helped me get to the point where I was experimenting more, but at that specific point, I kind of closed up my studio and didn't let that vulnerable aspect be shown to the outside world for a little bit until I figured out what I wanted to be doing. 
Trey, do you feel like in your artistic practice that your teaching has allowed you kind of that fallback point as far as with your own experimentation with your work? You know, Christy brings up the word vulnerability and that makes me think about a lot. I don't I don't think teaching is is a crutch at all. It's actually really helpful. One thing that it does is it doesn't make my art practice vulnerable is what I think. I think it actually mm. strengthens it. I think it allows the artwork to remain fun and independent from sort of finances and it allows it to to be something that is I can celebrate. In other words, like I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I'm taking an extra week on this painting because that's what the painting needs, right? Instead of thinking about other motivations for why I need to, you know, get the painting to the gallery immediately or something like that. It's not confused by any sort of financial need or any kind of need at all, except for the need of the artwork itself. A hundred percent. And I think that's a really good point because one of the... I think ideas around this too is if you're having to meet all these deadlines, if you're having to do, you know, certain work, do you compromise that work because it is something that you're trying to get out and, you know, as a product, you know, uh, as a commercial product, because I mean, when it really does come down to it, that's how you need to make a living, which kind of brings me to the million dollar question. And this is going to be for both of you guys. If you were making, like, let's say a million dollars off of your artwork every year, would you still teach? Who wants to take that one first? <laughs> I probably would, but it would be a little bit less than what I'm doing currently. I would probably keep teaching my art mentoring program because that's a really, that I do find that that like is a, um, a way that my my actual art is benefited by teaching that, that program because everyone's experimenting with their own stuff in there, so... Yeah. Could you elaborate on what that program is? Because that's interesting oh, yes. to me. Like, this is the one that you've chosen. Like, I want to continue that one. If I if I was making unlimited funds on, what is so exciting about this mentoring program that you that you get out of it? Yeah. Well, so that is the one. It's like an online art mentoring program, and it's uh, it sort of touches on the two aspects of being an artist: the professional development and then the creative, you know, technical side. And um, it's a way for students to learn whatever they want to be learning. And so there's people who are just like learning the technical specifics of portraiture, or there's people who have training, but want to be able to build their own concepts into their work. So it's it's really for all levels, but it's it's different from my other classes where we're all like painting the same subject matter. In this, everyone's doing their own thing and it's sort of exploring their own interests in that and I'm able to support them at that and it's very interesting for me and I learn a lot and I hope they do too I think they do <laughs> <laughs> well, and Trey I just gave you a million dollars for your paintings are you <laughs> continuing to teach well I I think that I would answer the question almost exactly the way Christy did um, and I think that's awesome that we both have sort of the same feeling about this uh, in other words, like it's not really about the money, you know. It's 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 really not. If I had a million dollars, I I would still definitely teach. Um, it doesn't take up that much time. First of all, I I love being on a college campus. Quite honestly, it's not it's not just about teaching art. It's about you know actually driving to the college campus, which is excuse me, I almost said canvas, on the campus <laughs> and seeing the leaves fall on the ground, seeing the squirrels run up the trees and just it, being in a place of higher education where people are trying to better themselves and 
there's something I just really love about that. So I would definitely teach, although it would be less, of course, so I could make those million dollar paintings. So <laughs> <laughs> we need to take a quick break here and then we're going to come back in and, uh, and continue this conversation because I think we're just really uh, starting to dive into some of the interesting uh, ideas between, uh, you know, practice and teaching. Welcome back. You know, one of the things that I think is a misnomer is this idea that those who can't do teach. You know, I have two artists here who are obviously making a living, who are selling their works on multiple platforms across the country. And, you know, at the end of the segment before had just told us that they absolutely would keep teaching no matter how much money that they were making off of their artwork. I think that's an assumption that every artist is kind of heard in some level or another at, at some point in their career. I think there's a lot of assumptions that we hear about kind of the value of art school, about teaching. So what are some of those assumptions that you guys hear all the time from your students? Christy, do you have uh, something that comes up for them all the time about what they're going to learn or uh, some of the assumptions that they feel that uh, what the value of art school is? Yeah, I don't know. I think it is like an interesting con like myth the artist is like or teachers failed artist myth. Um and, and I'm really glad there's a lot of us that aren't in that in that scenario. You know, I know me and Trey both are practicing artists and and so it's like an act of generosity to and not you know, that sounds weird to say, but but it's coming from a good place when we teach. But I do know of some artists that are kind of more in the ego place and, and, you know, and I think a lot of them occur in high school and I have had a lot of people and I'm always so horrified by this, tell me that they were told in all sincerity by their high school art teacher that they have no talent and then they just like never painted again. And they tell me this like coming to one of my classes and I, and as a teacher, like I, there's ne- not a scenario where I would ever say those words to any person on the face of the earth. So that's like the most ridiculous thing for a teacher to like tell someone. And basically you're like not even a teacher if you're saying that because you should actually be giving them advice on how to get better, not just like you have no talent, you may as well give up. And then there's also like teachers I've had who uh, weren't able to make a living off of it. And they like sat the whole class down and kind of explained to us like, we'll never make a living as as an artist, you should just like accept that. (laughs) And I was actually at that very point in my life making a living off of my art, selling my painting in galleries and putting myself through art school. So it was, you know, just not not really true at all. So I, I think both can exist. And I think as students, you have to be kind of aware of of what you're hearing. And if someone's telling you that you just have no talent, then that's not a good teacher to be listening to. (laughs) Do you ever find yourself having to justify to your students or to others kind of the value of an art education or of what art school is? I don't. I think that they pretty much come to me already convinced. Because I certainly know that with a BFA and an art history degree that like most people think I'm, I I think I used this reference before that most people kind of think I'm qualified to be a barista. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know that like, you know, oh great, you have an art degree, you know, like what are you going to do for a job? (laughs) 
you know and that comes to again this circling back like about do you actually get uh you know kind of training from going to art school or do you get concept from going to art school or do you get do you walk away with the tools that you need to actually like enter the career of being an artist at an art school i think it's really interesting because uh like i said the guests on our last podcast were very adamant that like drop out of art school like, and that would like really kind of, you know, that kind of took me back that we had two artists. I did, had no idea that they were both going to go in that kind of direction with the conversation. What is the value of going to art school if, A, you may not be able to have be taught how to be an artist or think like an artist? And maybe you can get some ideas around technique or training or some of those tools Um, but there's all kinds of ways to learn that give me the sales pitch for why go to art school the first day i went to graduate school even before classes started i was actually moving into my studio on campus and the previous graduate uh, was moving out he was essentially moving out of the studio and i was moving in you know, he had just finished the MFA program and he was really excited and everything. He'd worked, you know, super hard for three years. And I asked him, I said, hey, do you have any advice for me, like going into grad school? Because I was really nervous. And he said two, he was kind of shocked by that, <laughs> that I was asking him a question like that. But then he said two things. He said, um, number one, you need to outwork everyone, you know, because if you work the hardest, like, you know, that's going to really help you. And then number two, you need to be prepared to completely change your artwork and that it will in fact be what you end up doing will be totally different than how you came into grad school. And and I didn't think that that was possible for me. I thought, hey, there's no way that I'm going to totally change my paintings and everything. At that point, I wasn't even an abstract artist. I was actually doing representational imagery and I had never done abstract art. So in my, at the end of my first year of grad school, I did just that. I completely dropped everything that I was doing, all the subject matter that I was doing, and I started becoming an abstract artist because I realized that I was so into paint itself, and the content was sort of just a, a stand-in for something that I felt I needed. So the, these changes never would have happened without uh, critique and without you know, especially graduate school critique. And, you know, those are the kind of critiques where they're not exactly trying to make you feel good, right? It's, we're kind of past that. It's, it's pretty serious. And, you know, we kind of drill down on, on what's happening and what's not happening. And I needed that tough love and I needed to kind of purge all of the, all of the bad ideas and all of the bad habits. And I, looking back on that, if I would have, as, as you said, just dropped out of art school, I, I don't think that that my artwork ever would have actually happened in any kind of big way at all because those tough lessons never would have been told to me. And I love that you, uh, I can testify that your use of paint is extraordinary, the way that you put it down. And, you know, you referenced earlier about these Skittles colors, yeah. which kind of goes back to, uh, you know, your painting for me, which, which first of all, just kind of going back to that, I think that, it, you know, historically, that's where it comes into kind of an art education, because you look at like the Russian Impressionists, and they were so good at doling down their colors to make those, you know, those Skittle colors pop in their 
their paintings. But for me, as soon as you said Skittles, I was reminded of your paintings because they remind <laughs> me of frosting. Yeah. And I have like this very literal, like visceral reaction to your paintings where I want to lick them. I, 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 actually, <laughs> I actually, that's so funny you say that because I mean, literally last week I was telling my students like, because they were starting a painting and I was saying, hey, you know, you have to start with desaturated hues. Like we will build up to our saturated hues, you know, in, in further layers and so forth. And and in making a painting, you, you sometimes have to think backwards. You have to think about, you know, the paint that you put on last will actually be what the viewer sees first and so forth. And so, yes, it, it is absolutely a practice of patience and it's, it, it's a practice of breaking down a painting and, and making it happen. Um, so application is, is really key for me and is incredibly important. Variation of paint application, of hue, of composition, all of these things are like the pillars of, of what I teach, essentially variation in whole. Yeah. Yeah. And Christy, so what advice would you give students on how to approach their own art education? Uh, you know, there's, I think, a lot of different courses here, you know, from kind of an art students league type of education, the atelier, the university. What what advice would you give a student who just came out of that high school education and is looking to further their understanding of their own practice? I mean, it really depends on what their goals are, but I'm really into all of it. And I do have a student in mind who, you know, she reminds me of me or whatever. And uh, I would really like love, you know, I love seeing her taking the ATA classes and and then I would love to see her do like a BFA and then, you know, grad school and just get the mix of all of it. So if that's like a possibility, that's, I really think that's like such a good combination, but it to that's just coming from me and like what I want with my art. So I think it just totally depends on what the person's goals are with, with their art and then kind of tailoring your education to hit all of the points that you need to like learn. And as far as like what you can get out of education, you know, at, at accredited universities and stuff, I think um, understanding like the discourse around art, understanding the art history, understanding what's happening currently, you know, in the art world and what each thing that you say with paint, the language of paint is like saying in the broader scheme of things. So looking for some way to, to get whatever you need to know about how your work, the work that you want to create fits into the, the larger discourse around art. And Trey, would you have similar advice for a student uh, on how to approach their education? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think you really have to, you know, there's all kinds of different students. Like, you know, I teach at uh, University of Texas, Dallas, and it's an incredibly special school with, you know, in incredibly smart students. Most of them are, you know, pre-med or science majors or, you know, they do a lot of things that I definitely could not do, right? So, <laughs> I mean, literally some of them are, are in school to be rocket scientists and, you know, molecular biologists and, you know, electrical engineers. And I love talking to my students about their majors because, you know, there's not, there is art majors there, but there's not like a fine art degree there. So the fine art classes are kind of just in addition to uh, some of the art computer type degrees, art degrees that they're, that they're going for. So, you know, they have a different, they have a different plan. In other words, these students will never be going to graduate school for art. They'll be going on to, you know, technical jobs and so forth. So 
it, it is a different thing. So when I was teaching up at UNT, these were all art majors and they were all, you know, at least in the running for going to graduate school and so forth. So, you know, I, I do look at it a different, a little bit differently. Like what is, what is their plan? How, how are they going to go about it? And obviously they're going to have, you know, much different goals and so forth. So it does really depend on the student and the school that you're teaching at. But, you know, I'm a big believer in school in general and, especially when you have all these student loans that you're taking on and everything like, you know, it's like you don't necessarily as an art student appreciate all the criticism in the moment that you're getting it. But I think later on you really do appreciate it because there's no way to correct yourself really unless you have these kinds of responses from people that you respect. You know, so for me, I think, always being curious and learning from a a multitude of different uh, sources is important. Uh, I I really enjoyed my university training, although, uh, you know, I didn't really learn how to paint there. Right. I had a, an artist tell me the other day that they didn't understand the difference between cadmium red and cadmium red hue until they were in master's school. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's kind of like, which would be day one at like an atelier, like how to set up your palette. You know, it's important to follow that curiosity for your individual career, being honest to your yourself and kind of identifying what you want to learn, but also like thinking outside of the box of that, getting outside of your comfort zone. Like there's, you're going to find stuff that you didn't know that you wanted to learn just by showing up and, uh, and approaching these things. So I'm really grateful for you guys to have joined me today on this. Again, I think we could do a whole season on just what it is to get an art education and, and thank you guys for, for, uh, diving in with me today. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having us, Doug. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Artbound podcast. For more information about the guests and what we've discussed, go to artistnetwork.com slash artbound. You can also find ways to connect with me and the Artbound team. We'd love to hear from you. If you've enjoyed the show, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen. Artbound is an Artist Network podcast and produced by Golden Peak Media. It's hosted by me, Doug Casina. Our producer is Daisha Clay, with audio engineering by Evan Rutherford. Director of podcasts is Jared Mayer. Executive producer for Artist Network is Scott Meyer. Trisha Waddell is the director of content. Sarah Van Patter handles all our marketing. And Vanessa Childers does all things digital. If you'd like more information on sponsoring or advertising on Artbound, go to goldenpeakmedia.com. I'm Doug Casina. Until next time.